This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today is someone I've been following on Instagram for a really long time and love following her. It's Laura from Mind Mommy Coaching. Welcome to the studio. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming and for, for getting the train and joining me in studio. It's really good to not have to do it on Zoom. I'm really delighted that you're here. It is really nice. I think this is my second in-person podcast that I've recorded and it's so much nicer. Yeah, it is because you get to actually, you know, like we can, I find sometimes when I did the Zoom ones, like I don't know when to interrupt and that, that flow, which is difficult for me anyway, um, is, is, is even worse. Yeah. So yeah, it's much yeah. easier. But we're in person. We'll just go with the flow. <laughs> we are. So tell the listeners who might not follow you or don't know what you do. Yeah. So my name is Laura Guckian. Um, I am a qualified and accredited life coach for mums and I'm the founder of Mind Mommy Coaching. So like in a nutshell, Mind Mommy Coaching is all about normalizing all of the challenges of motherhood and giving mums the tools they need to navigate it. So that's kind of my professional head. But most importantly, I'm a mum of three. Uh, I two little boys and a little girl and it was I suppose my journey of motherhood when I first became a mum which I've kind of shared publicly I had a really challenging mental health experience um on your first child on my first child so he's now almost seven so when I became a mum almost over six years ago it just hit me like a train I I was up to that point a very healthy happy like relatively happy life like had had, I suppose experienced anxiety had been in therapy like like a lot of people but I never had any hardship Mm -hmm. right I was at the peak of my marketing career I I was lucky enough to get pregnant pretty quickly everything I heard about motherhood was amazing this will be the best time of your life and I suppose I went into it with my eyes closed suddenly Leo arrived he had severe silent reflux uh was waking every 20 minutes he was really sick and I struggled like And I knew I was getting more and more unwell and I was asking for help. And I suppose in a nutshell, I felt really alone. I thought I was the only one feeling like this because I couldn't see any other woman like me. Every other image I saw of motherhood, everyone was happy. Everyone was out walking their baby. And I just felt like I was doing it wrong, immense guilt. And long story short, because I know that's not exactly what the podcast is about, I ended up requiring um, help in a psychiatric hospital for two months. It had got to that level because there was no intervention. And how long did it take to get to that point? Like what? That took 10 months. So he was 10 months old, but it was actually quite quick, the process of then getting that help Mm -hmm. because 
I was going in and out to my GP. I wasn't getting the help. It was like, oh, this is postnatal depression. I was on medication. It wasn't working. And I was just getting worse and worse to the point where it kind of escalated one morning. I rang my best friend. She was in Cork. I was in Dublin. And I was like, literally clear, like, I, I need help. And she just knew in my voice. Mm-hmm. And luckily... What she, did that look like for you? Like, what, what was going on for you? It was literally... How would I describe it? You know that fight or flight feeling? Yeah. Like I would wake in the morning and it was like this intense, I don't know how I'm going to do this again. Like this is so hard. Like every single thing felt really hard. It was a dread. It was this sense of failing, like I'm doing it wrong. It was this sense of anger, like why is nobody helping me? Like I'm telling everyone I'm finding this hard and it was sort of this like, but you're grand. Everyone struggles a little bit. It's fine. Here's some medication. And I just felt like nobody was hearing me. Mm-hmm. And it was this sense of, is anyone going to help me? Yeah. Like, like, how did my life go from this to this? All I did was have a baby. Like, and literally, I couldn't function. And it was at the stage where my husband at the time then started working from home, which was unheard of then, because he was concerned about leaving me on my own. And it's really strange when you're in it. It doesn't feel as bad as it is. But then when someone from the outside was coming in and they could see what was happening, like my friend Claire, it was like, Jesus, like you're really unwell, Laura. But I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. Um, So and like even describing that I went to a psychiatric hospital and leaving my 10 month old baby at the time, it didn't feel like that. I, I suppose the way I got in was went to the GP and was like, this isn't working. I want to be referred to a psychiatric hospital as an outpatient. Yes. That was the plan. And then a few days later, she rang back and was like, I have a way. Now, maybe this was a strategy on her part. I have a way to get you in quicker, but you're going to have to stay there for a few nights. So I was like, great. Like, think of any sleep deprived mom. You're offering me a few nights of uninterrupted sleep. Great. I was that's what I was thinking. So I went there, um, checked myself in. And it was only when I was there a few days, I was really in denial going, I'm fine. Everyone else is unwell, but I'm actually grand. I'm just here to maybe get a little bit more help. It hit me when I met the team. So when you go in there, you have a multidisciplinary team and you have a, he- a consultant psychiatrist and a psychologist. And my consultant said to me, generally, people stay here for up to two months. And I was like, what? Like, I'm only here for a few nights. And she was like, well, you can go if you like, but, but essentially we need to understand what brought you here so that we can help you. And that takes time and we need to figure out what's going on. So essentially, I stay there for two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and were you able to see Leo? And yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. Um, I suppose in a psychiatric hospital, I'm mindful I'm talking about a private facility. Yes. There's all different levels of care. Obviously, there was people who needed more support and they couldn't leave the facility. But once your consultant signed you off, you could leave whenever you wanted. So I could go home for an hour or two. I could even go home for a night or two. So I was sort of in and out. Yes. But that was my home for two months. That was my safe space. That was like, I almost became a teenager again. Like they made you food. They took care of you. It was like, how are you feeling today, Laura? Like it was actually a really nice experience. And I think that's important to say because when I was going in, I imagined padded cells. I had no idea what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was completely different. But when I left, so I left after two months and they very clearly were like, this isn't postnatal depression because... For whatever reason, and they were trying medication and they were sort of like, we don't really know what brought you here. <laughs> right. Okay. And I that made me feel worse because when I was in there, there's this thing of everyone say, why are you in here? What brought you in here? And you'd see people coming in with diagnosed mental illnesses. They might be in and out. They come in really unwell. And a few days later, they're leaving. They just needed their meds adjusted. 
And then there was this group of women, particularly mums, that I was part of. And we were all sort of saying, why are we here? They can't, you were, you were clinging on to a diagnosis. You were clinging on to a why. You wanted someone to say you're here because of this. And there was this group of women, mostly mums of teenagers, young kids. Like I wasn't the only mum. And we were all like, we don't know why we're here. Mm-hmm. And I was discharged without that clarity. I was definitely a bit better in myself. Like I had got rest and I had got a bit stronger, but I was still really unwell. And I suppose that was the start of my recovery. And it was always this why, like, why did I end up in here? Why am I the only mom that's feeling like this? And how am I going to get myself better? Because the stuff I was doing, like I was in intense intense therapy. I was was exercising. I was eating well. And none of it was working for me. Mm -hmm. But I was trusting like the experts. (laughs) Yes, yeah. But none of it was working for me. And did you ever get to the bottom of the why? So I have a few reasons on what the why is, right? Um, I kind of had this light bulb moment after about three years. I was in intense therapy. I had had two miscarriages. Like life was just falling apart again. And remember, like those three years, I left Dublin. I moved home. My whole life changed. I made major lifestyle choices because... I, I wasn't, I still wasn't well. Mm-hmm. And it was this moment where I'd had my second miscarriage. I was applying for like really junior marketing roles. I couldn't even get an interview. And I just had this moment of, no, like this is not my life. You're not living another year like this, Laura. You're doing something. You're making any move. So I, I kind of shaped up my CV a bit better, applied for a really junior marketing role and I got the job. And like the reason I'm talking about that is I was fixated on, I need to find my why. I need to figure out what the right next step is. I need to get it right. And instead it was like, you might never know the why, but just start moving in any direction. It was like I was in a game of chess and I hadn't made a move in three years. And it was like, you need to start living, Laura. Even if you get it wrong, you're not living now. You're living like a teenager. So I went back to work, got pregnant again. Alex stayed around, (laughs) didn't lose that baby. And then COVID hit. So I had been planning for this second baby with my psychologist. And I kind of made that decision to have a second baby because I loved Leo so much and I wanted to have a sibling. But I was prepping that I could get really unwell again. Mm-hmm. And the baby arrived and he didn't have silent reflux. And it was a totally different experience. And COVID hit. And I remember sitting in the car at my psychologist on a Zoom call going, like oh no (laughs) like we planned for everything but we didn't plan for this and again something just took over again and I was like I'm not getting unwell again and I'm not saying I'm not saying mental health is a choice or any like for the vast majority of us we can't control it Mm -hmm. but I just was refusing I was like I'm not going back there and during my darkest times like when I was in the midst of being in hospital I remember one moment where I just fell to the floor crying And a nurse was there and I was like, what's happening? Like, why am I here? And I remember making a promise to myself in that moment. If I ever figure out why I ended up here, or most importantly, if I can get myself out of this, I'm going to make sure this never happens to another woman Mm -hmm. because this shouldn't have happened to me. So in that moment, it was COVID. Again, I wasn't getting interviews. I was like, I'll deliver on that promise. What will I do? I had been studying psychology and I couldn't finish that master's. So I said, what's this life coaching business about? (laughs) What's that? I'll just make a decision to do that and see where it leads. So I started studying life coaching and then I was like, maybe I can use that to help mums. And everyone was like, that's not a thing. Can't be a life coach for mums. That's not a thing. And I was like, well, I'll do it. I'll make it a thing. So the week I decided to set up my business, Mind Mommy Coaching, I found out I was pregnant with my my daughter, Anna. (laughs) Massive surprise. Alex was eight months old. And again, it was like, are you going to sink or swim here, Laura? 
and I worked through my pregnancy to build a business. Anna arrived, worked through postpartum. And I suppose fast forward here now, almost two years later, I've I've supported like almost 3000 mums, which is crazy. But back to your answer of why did I end up in there? I think it was down to this. So I've been doing a lot of research and a lot of why. And I'm kind of obsessed with researching things, which we might get to in a minute. And I stumbled on a word called matrescence, which I had never heard of. So what is matrescence? It's like adolescence, but for mums when they're becoming, for women when they're becoming mums. So just like adolescence, what did that feel like? We were incredibly vulnerable. We were like, emotions were high. It was a challenging time, but society supported us. It was sort of a norm, but for mums, it's the best kept secret of motherhood. We are at our most vulnerable from a psychological perspective. What that means is if you were prone to experiencing anxiety, Maybe you were someone that just liked to have a sense of control. Maybe there was some trauma that you never processed. That's going to come to the surface and you're going to feel it tenfold. So that happens, which I didn't know about, which would explain why I struggled so much. Um, There's also postnatal depletion. So Dr. Oscar Serilak, if you've never heard of him, look him up. He's an Australian doctor. He's done a lot of research into this. And basically, he sort of feels like the postnatal period is two years, right? And that's the emotional and physical recovery of having a baby. Again, we're incredibly vulnerable from a psychological perspective. So that's the backdrop. Like women are incredibly vulnerable, but they're not telling us about that. They're not prepping us. What are our antenatal classes about? How to feed the baby, labor and delivery. That's simplifying it. But as Mm -hmm. a whole, there's not really a piece on how do you mind mom? How do we take care of you? So I think that had a major contributing factor as to why I felt like that um and then there's probably another factor which I'm probably going to talk to you now where I've realized I'm actually autistic yeah which was definitely a factor it wasn't the only factor and I think that's important to state because I only found this out recently and it still stands by my point of if you are autistic which many women are but don't know then motherhood is going to hit you tenfold if you maybe experienced anxiety but you're not autistic you're going to experience it tenfold it's going to be a really challenging time so I think it was the combination of matrescence postnatal depletion um the fact that society just doesn't take care of mums and that I'm autistic and I didn't know and they didn't cop that in hospital either that I'm autistic so there was a whole journey of me finding out that I'm autistic. Yeah, I think that uh like I have had a similar journey to you I didn't end up in psychiatric hospital yeah. but it definitely has been Like Rory is seven and a half months now and it's still the hardest thing. And I don't, you know, when I say to people like I'm really struggling, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, but you're doing great. It's great. She's great. She's happy. She's smiling. And I'm like, I'm not saying that she's not smiling and she's not happy. I'm telling you that I find this really hard. And whether or not I'm doing a good job is sort of beside the point. Mm. Yes, I'm doing it, but I don't enjoy it. It's really difficult. It's really depleting. And it's very overwhelming. And I do think that this, you know, you're saying there about society doesn't support mothers, this idea of it takes a village. Do you think that society has just changed so much and that these villages have disappeared because we've moved away from them? Or is it kind of a sense of... You know, because when you have your baby, people say like, oh, well, I won't call in on you because, you know, you'll be cocooning, like you'll be in that newborn bubble. But that expectation also removes support support yeah the village is gone like 
that's the fact of it. If you look at other cultures, like I had a follower from Africa recently commented on a post and I just thought it was fantastic where her sister had moved to the UK and had her family there and she had put something, I was talking about the village and it being gone and she was like, this is why I'm never leaving Africa. That if you have a baby there, like from when you're about eight months pregnant, they will basically come in, the village (laughs) or the community will come in and support that woman until she's a couple of weeks postpartum, as in they will let her rest, sleep, they will feed her. They basically nourish the mum. What happens in our society? Like you're given a baby, particularly a first time mum. It's like, here's your baby. The focus is on the mum during pregnancy. You deliver this baby and it's like, now it's on the baby, which is important. But that village doesn't exist. It's not there. We were never supposed to do this on our own, Stephanie. We were supposed to do this with the support of people. Your body is absolutely depleted. Emotionally, you're depleted. And then you layer that with sleep deprivation, the shift in identity, the absolute just fear of, I don't know what to do with this baby. But how do we, we, is there a way of getting the village back? I don't think there is because other women, like, so say if, like, I have three friends who are due babies in the next sort of, well, one is due at the weekend and and, and in the following weeks. But I don't, like, I can't be their village because I'm drowning on my own. And I think if you look at the village, the practical village, as in extra people to help and then sort of the emotional village, I think it's hard to get the practical piece back because of the way society has gone. But the emotional village, and that's sort of what I do with my business, is it's more about, first of all, recognizing you're not alone, uh, educating you on this is why you're feeling like this, Mm -hmm. and sort of giving you the tools you need to navigate it. And I think that's, like, in an ideal world, I would love for the practical piece to be back. Mm -hmm. But I think we've gone too far. Like, I really do. As you said, your friend is having a baby and you're like, even though I'm experiencing this and I know this is hard and I know she's going to need support. But like, I know what I am going to do. I'm going to order, you know, like meal deliveries. Stuff like that. That kind of stuff. But I'm still so afraid of driving in the car with the baby on my own. Yeah. That like, I can't commit to driving over there. And also, I feel like if I did drive over there and I had my baby, it would be too overwhelming for her. Yeah. You know, it's stressful. It's really, really hard. But even I say, I suggest to moms as well. In the absence of the village, create your own village. And what do I mean by that? It means cutting corners where you can. Like you're saying, ordering your friend in meals. Meals, yeah. Um, Like being fair to yourself. A lot of what I see with mums now is this immense guilt. This inner critic is heightened. I'm not doing it right. I should. I shouldn't. And it's like, recognize you're doing your best in the absence of a village. And recognize it's okay if you need to put on frozen pizza for your kids. Like it's okay. Because you can't do everything. We can do anything, but we and can't it's okay do everything. If they watch some screen time. Oh my um, God, don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. Screen, time is fu- screen time is part of my village. Yeah. Because what else? How do you keep your kids safe if you need to make dinner? No, it's totally true. I set up a WhatsApp group called The Village. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with people who live in, in and around my neighborhood who also had babies. And it's been really helpful because... You know, just texting, being like, how many mils of Calpol is it again? And then someone will definitely know because it's like for me as an autistic mother, like I don't have the executive function. Like all of all of all of my available energy is going on responding to her. And so if something goes out of kilter, I can't process like the maths of what time does she eat? What time does she need a bottle? How many mils of Calpol? What is the next thing? And so I need someone around with me. And it's things like that where you can outsource that executive function that I find really helpful. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. That's what I find the hardest about motherhood. It's it's the absolute overwhelm of everything you have to consider and the Mm -hmm. lack of control. Like I need control and that's gone when you become a mum. Yeah, it's washed lack, away. That's the thing. The lack of control and the sleep, like 
not being able to control like her naps or how she's going to yeah. be feeling or how that's going to kick off the day. It's really very stressful. And yeah. um, so what does it look like? Give us an idea of what the business looks like. So say I um, contact you and I want to be one of your clients. How does that work? Yeah. So I work with mums on a few areas. One, it's sort of one to one. Then there's like group coaching and then there's like the whole corporate talk stuff. But really, like I work with mums right through from pregnancy to teenage mums. So if you thought... That's a really good question. Like, why do moms come? It's generally they come to me feeling stuck, Mm -hmm. right? In the life coaching world, if you're looking at the technical speak, there's a goal and there's an action plan. That doesn't happen with the work I do. Women are generally coming to me saying, really struggling with motherhood, Laura. I feel stuck. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm trying to make a massive decision. Um, I just feel really overwhelmed with trying to balance it all. Or it could be a first time I'm going, I'm scared about having a baby. I don't know how to navigate that postnatal period. So we would have a quick 20 minute call. And I do that to establish, first of all, is it therapy or life coaching? That's really key. If I think it's therapy, I'll refer you out to that um, because therapy and life coaching are very different. So someone might come to you with a problem and you think you actually need therapy. Yes. So someone might come going, look, I'm finding this really overwhelming. So I need to determine to what level, like, is this impacting them, their ability to function? Is it keeping them awake at night? Do I think it's more therapy that there might be some underlying trauma where they need to look at the past and understand what that is? Or is it more about, right, we need to put practical, kind of what you're saying there, yeah. practical tools in place. You feel more organized. You feel more in control. So we'd have a call. I'd establish what you're struggling with. And then I would tell you how I could support you and what that looks like. And then you would say, yeah, I kind of gel with Laura or I don't, or that would help me. And if you decide to work with me, then we work through that over a number of like sessions over Zoom. And that could be like when you go through matrescence, this is something that was a light bulb moment for me. And I went through years of therapy and I remember texting my psychologist saying, I didn't know this, like our value system. I didn't know what that was or what that meant. Essentially, our value system like anchors us. It helps us make decisions. It's what we sort of build our life around. And I didn't know what any of my values were. So when you become a mum, they change. When you go through matrescence, that's that loss of identity. That's that what makes me happy, happy. That's the, you've an hour to yourself and you don't know what to do because you have changed. So I do a lot of that with mums. What are you? Like, who are you? What do you need? What do you want? What's going to make you happy? And what are the small changes you can make in your life? So it's very forward facing. It's very action orientated. And it's very about, which probably is why I think I'm good at it because I'm autistic. It's like joining the dots. You know, when you're in something, it's like a garden maze and you just can't see the way out. And then I'm listening to it and I'm like, well, that connects to that and that connects here. Have you ever considered that it's this? And my clients are usually like, how did you figure that out? Like, I've been in years of therapy. How did you see that? So I just think I have an ability to join the dots and see patterns and help people get clarity. And it's one of my skills that I never knew I had. But sometimes I can't do it for myself. <laughs> yes, no, I, that, and that's, I think that's totally fair because you're in the maze. I'm in the maze. Like yeah, I've worked sure. with a life coach. I, I believe in it because I need clarity. Like clarity is key. If we've clarity on what we need, what we want, and as mums, if we can give ourselves permission to do it, then that's how we navigate motherhood. It's like, I talk about it all the time, like our reserves. I hate the word self-care. It's banned because there's no bubble bath. Yeah, that, that's not going to fix this. This is deeper. This is about the relationship you have with yourself and getting to know yourself and giving yourself permission to meet your needs without guilt. Because if your reserves are really high, 
then you have energy, you have clarity. It's easier to make decisions. Kind of back to your example about the Calpol. Mm -hmm. Like I know even as an autistic person, if my reserves are high, I can just take control easier. Yes, absolutely. If your reserves are low and you're depleted, which is the case for many moms, that's when we feel overwhelmed. Anxiety is higher. We lack clarity. We can't make decisions. So what I essentially help moms do is how do we fill up your reserves? And what fills up my reserve is different to what fills up your reserve. And it's about tuning into it. And that's the journey I've been on as a mom in when I was unwell. What do they tell you to do if you're like struggling with depression or anxiety? Like get out and meet people, exercise, right? And I didn't know I was autistic at the time. But in my gut, I was doing what felt right. I was in a dark room watching Netflix. They were like, no, 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 no. Get out and meet people. But actually what I've learned since and going through my assessment, what my psychologist told me going through that is that's the worst possible thing I could have done. Because I was on sensory overload. And actually, at the time, I knew deep down what I needed. And I was trying to do it, but they were saying no. So I know I'm autistic and a lot of people might not be, but it's the same principle. You know what you need. It's not about what you should do. It's about tuning into what you need. And that could be reading a book. That could be going into a quiet room. That could be making boundaries with your friends or relationships. It doesn't have to be the traditional stuff we're told. I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Rockwell Financial and they have a special offer for basically listeners. Rockwell Financial protect but also enhance the wealth of SME owners. If you own a small or medium enterprise or you are a sole trader in Ireland, Rockwell Wealth Management will protect and enhance your wealth and they have a free consultation for basically listeners. So call them up, tell them you're a basically listener and they will give you a one-to-one consultation for free. When you're not feeling well or if you're in pain, getting medical treatment without delay is what matters. Matter Private has an emergency department at their hospital in Dublin and Cork where you can get access to emergency medical care quickly. I've used the service myself. The emergency department team was led by a consultant and they got me seen within 30 minutes of my arrival, which is their goal for all patients. And that means you can get whatever diagnostic tests you need without a delay, like a CT scan, an MRI scan, an ultrasound. And those results are fast tracked to help the medical team work out what was most suitable for your treatment. If you need to be admitted to the hospital, which I didn't, you will be seen as soon as possible by a consultant who specialises in your specific medical or surgical area of need. It's for over 16s only and they're open in Dublin Monday to Saturday 8am to 5pm and in Cork from Monday to Friday 9 to 5. See matterprivate.ie for more details on getting the specialist care you need as soon as possible. If you're not feeling well and you need medical treatment quickly, visit the emergency department at Matter Private Cork and Dublin. The Podcast Studios is the home of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's where lots of our shows are recorded and we work on editing, promotion, videos, live shows and lots more. As a podcast production company with three state-of-the-art studios for audio and video in Dublin City Centre, we can work with you to tell great stories in a professional and engaging way. From government organisations to charities, arts groups to international brands, entrepreneurs to hobbyists, we've worked with everybody and we can help you to get the word out. Whether you need studio time, you're hosting a live stream or webinar, or you need support with editing or marketing, we can tailor a package for you. For more info, head to thepodcaststudios.ie. This is why I think life coaching or specific therapy is so important and why, in a way, the prevalence of tips and tricks on Instagram and Mm. TikTok is slightly dangerous because while for the vast majority of people, if they are depressed, going out and meeting friends for a 30 minute walk generally will lift the mood. 
for an autistic person or for people with specific personality types, it absolutely won't. And so yeah. you get this sense of shame and guilt that you don't want to do the things that you are told will definitely help you. And you say, well, it doesn't help me. And then people think that you're reluctant to help. Or you're be getting more depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, you don't yeah. want to be helped. Yeah. And it's and, and that is the greatest gift I have gotten since realizing I'm autistic. And I remember my psychologist saying it to me. And this is for everyone in life. You now have permission to do whatever you need and want. Yeah. And it is. For the rest of your life. And I, it was like a light bulb of I've been trying to do that my whole life. But society was telling me it was wrong. Yeah. And I think and, and that's particularly with mums. If you can give your first of all, recognize what you need and want. And that's where life coaching comes in because we don't all know. And then give yourself permission to do it. There is no bubble bath that's going to fix this. There's no walk. There was no deep breathing that was going to get me out of that. It's back to the core of what you need and want and giving yourself permission to do it. How do you find navigating all that now that you've three children? It must be more yeah. difficult to it, give yourself what you need. Um, it is and it isn't. Um, I suppose I've lived through what it feels like when I don't give myself what I need. Mm-hmm. Like I am the extreme. I needed, I was so unwell, I had to go into a psychiatric hospital. And that was purely me going, well, I was asking for help, but equally I was like, I'll do it when. So my little boy was really sick. I was like, when he gets better, I'll do it when. I'll do it when. There's no longer a when for me. It's right now. And this became really prevalent when, so like, how did I figure out I'm autistic? My little boy, he's now three and a half. So we found out he was autistic when he was two, right? Because he wasn't speaking. And even at the time, that was really hard to figure it out. Like, I remember hiring a private speech and language therapist. She came into my living room um, Anna was my baby was probably 10 days old that's that will tell you the level of worry I had and I didn't know much about autism mm-hmm. and I was like could it be autism and she's like absolutely not good eye contact <laughs> he's answering to me and I was like but, but he does it like I don't know I think it's autism and she kept like she was definitely saying this is not autism was the only um, facet that you noticed uh, speech delay speech delay but also he wouldn't respond to his name okay and but again, Ever? I did, or did he do it and then lose it? N- not really, like. But again, I knew nothing about autism. My definition of autism was a very stereotypical, mm-hmm. like, a little boy. And I say little boy, and we'll get on to that, like, lining up cars in a corner, not engaging with anyone. I didn't actually know what autism was. So my gut was telling me this was something more. And I saw it, a private assessment. Sure enough, he was autistic. He is autistic. And in that moment, and like for any mom listening to this who gets that report, it's very clinical from a child's perspective. It's very strong language. It's a real hard read. And in that moment, I wasn't upset for Alex. My mind, this is where I I, I go in terms of my development. My mind straight away went to, Laura, you need to up your game here and take care of yourself now because you're going to have to advocate for him. You're going to have to fight for him. You're going to have to get him the support you need. And you can't do that if you're depleted. So straight away, I went to, I need to take care of me to take care of him. And that's where my mind is at. So actually, how do I do it with three kids? That's my focus. It, it has to be me, Stephanie. Yeah. I can't do it. There's three of them. We then learned that Leo, my eldest little boy, is autistic, which is incredible. Because How did, you, how did that come afterwards? So, um, so learned that Alex was autistic. And it was a real light bulb moment because it challenged my definition of what autism is. Yeah. Because yes, he wasn't speaking, but he wasn't really doing any of the other things. Yeah. You know, and then I was like, so again, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert on autism. Mm-hmm. I always flag this. I'm not an expert. I might choose language that you might not agree with, but this is the language I choose. And yeah. I always look at someone's intentions. 
And I kind of was learning. I was like, is it genetic? Is it not? And I still don't know the answer to that. But my sense is it is genetic based on what I've learned. Or I Apparently it's, well, well, it's highly hereditary anyway. Definitely, right? And I was like, could that mean that Leo's autistic? Now, everyone, if you look at Leo and Alex, they're chalk and cheese. Leo did not have any developmental delays. He hit every point. Uh, he's a social butterfly. He would talk to anyone. Like, he does not meet any of the criteria I would have believed to be autism, right? So I was like, is he autistic? And everyone was like, no, no, no. So I went to the clinic. The what, pro- was, what was in your gut? What, what did My you do gut that was, was he you? is because Leo is a little mini me. Yeah. He needs control. He needs structure. If something doesn't go to plan, Leo does not like it. Yeah. And that's what I was clinging on to. At this stage now, I had no idea I was autistic, by the way. Yeah. No idea. And I was like, could that be why he loves a sense of control? Loves a plan. It's always what's happening this morning, mommy. What's what's like he wanted to know what was happening every day. He was an extremely picky eater. Right. Yeah. Didn't eat much as a child. Um, just liked clothes a certain way, mm-hmm. like tiny things, but did not meet like had no speech delay, has loads of friends, social butterfly, makes eye contact. All of the stuff I thought to be autism. So I went to the private clinic um, and I said, look, I would like him to be assessed. And they were like, we don't think he's autistic. Like, we really don't think he is. And I was like, I believe he is. And I kind of gave them all my evidence. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had to advocate for him and build evidence and go, this is why. Yes. Like, I think he's autistic. And they were like, we don't think he is. But look, we'll do it. We'll do it because you feel strongly. Sure enough, he's autistic. And it was a moment of, well, if he's autistic, who else is autistic? <laughs> yeah, like they're everywhere. They're everywhere. We're everywhere, right? And and the minute I found out he was autistic, I was like, well, he's a mini me. So if he's autistic, I'm autistic. And again, everyone was like, there's no way you're autistic, Laura. Like, yeah. there's no way you're autistic. You're a social butterfly. You're really good with public speaking. Like, you worked in marketing. And I was like, but but I just feel it in my gut that I'm autistic because I connect with it. And I started researching and researching. And I remember getting onto the psychologist I'd had for years for my deep therapy. And I was like, is there anything in your mind that makes you feel like I'm autistic? She's like, absolutely no way. You're not autistic. And I was like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because I was learning so much about it. So I applied for a private assessment, had to wait. And um, like they make you fill in kind of a pre-screener. So they won't do the assessment unless they feel like there's something Something there. there. Yeah, for sure. Did the assessment. And sure enough. You're I'm autistic. autistic, right? And what was interesting on it is they do an assessment as part of it, like to see how, to what level you mask it yes. or you hide it. And my score was through the roof, which meant that even though I thought I was being truthful in my answer, basically the psychologist was like, you don't really know who you are. Mm-hmm. You have masked this to the level that I, like I have to look at the nuances in your behavior. It's really hard to determine if an adult is autistic, particularly a woman. Because they've done so much to yeah. mask it. So like, I literally had this moment of, <laughs> if I'm autistic. Everyone's autistic. Everyone's autistic. <laughs> well, and no, but. But like, I definitely believe. Everyone could be. Everyone could be. I definitely think back to all those women in hospital with me who didn't have a reason why they were there, who were very like me. And I'm like, I think they were autistic. All of them. I think all of them were autistic. And you look at what it looks like for me. I need structure and control. I have always been a really organized person. I don't like things when they're not mm-hmm. part of my plan. I like my environment to be a certain way. I like things to be tidy and neat. Um, I've always had imposter syndrome. 
I would always overthink conversations. I would always plan out conversations. I've always struggled with eye contact. I'm doing it with you now, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we do take breaks, I've noticed. We take breaks. My eyes will dart off there. Yeah, it's fine so with you because I... Because I do it too. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it actually feels really natural to talk to you. Yeah. But in some scenarios... Like that, I remember working in the corporate space and someone asking me once, and it wasn't in a critical perspective. They were just like, why do you do that? I'm like, I've actually no idea. So like we, I forced myself to do it. Yeah. But like, it has just been the best experience of my life to get that clarity on who I am. I'm like, everything makes sense now. How was I 37 by the time I found out I'm autistic? Like, how does that happen? Because of a failure of... (laughs) <laughs> like medicine and society and a lack of an education about what actually what autism is I saw a thing actually someone said to me I did a Q&A the other day and someone said you know the way like do, do you take everything literally because you're autistic yeah and it, like in a way I do but like if someone says it's raining cats and dogs obviously I'm not gonna look out the window <laughs> and see if cats and dogs are falling from the sky but if someone says see you later or what time we should meet for a coffee when yeah those then then I might assume that that's actually what you mean but neurotypical people tend to use those as just like conversation punctuation and it's it's quite confusing um so your third child Anna is uh, do you think that she might be autistic too absolutely she's she's we've applied for an assessment I've no doubt she is I could be wrong but again and she looks different again and that's the point I have three children and we know two are definitely autistic I suspect Anna is and they're all completely different yeah like none of none of the signs overlap. And what? How is she presenting now? Um, it's such nuances. It's like she likes things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, she keeps taking off her clothes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, again, she likes control and structure. Like if I change the routine in any way, she gets really upset. Um, slight speech delay. Like she's little words now, but they're not where I remember Leo to be when he was that age. Yeah. What did she now? Two. She's almost two. She's two in July. Yeah. There's just subtleties that I never would have known were signs of autism. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. it. And I don't know if you had this experience when you found out you're autistic, but it's like I suddenly can sense if someone's autistic. Yeah. And I sit there and go, I wonder, do they know? Yeah, absolutely. But you can't really say it. I can't say it. And also, I'm not a psychologist, so I have a sense, but like they'd obviously need to go through. But I think interestingly, when I was when I found out and I shared that I was autistic, loads of people. I have two books and my first one is called Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same? Yeah. yeah. And um, lots of people who work with autistic people or have autistic relatives or autistic themselves said, um, oh, I thought that you knew that you were autistic and we just didn't talk about it. Like, obviously, from your book you're autistic. How did you not know? Um, And there is a sense when you go through the assessment of like, how did I not know? Like laughing at the answers, being like, yes, of course, I, of course I am. Um, But yeah, it's the greatest gift ever. And people message me all the time saying like, oh, well, what's the point of me getting diagnosed if I am like, my life isn't going to change. It's like, well, your life absolutely will change, as you say, because you'll have the permission to give yourself what you need and what you want. And understand, like even today, I'm up here, so I traveled this morning, which is fine. Um, I was at Wellfest at the weekend. People were like, how can you get up on a stage? I'm like, I'm fine with that. Oh, that's only one direction. Like, that's conversation. That's only talking in one direction. You know yeah, what you're going to say. Yeah, it's the one-on-one. Yeah. Like, you should have seen me five minutes before I went on. I was like, where do I put my hands? And and that's a big misconception. I could go on live TV. I'd be fine with that. But if I'm in a conversation with my best friend or even my mom or my dad, I find it extremely awkward. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. It's the one-on-one I can't deal with. But also, because my routine is slightly different today, I'm going to be wrecked tomorrow. Yeah. Like a subtle change 
in the routine throws me off for days. And I always just thought, am I lazy? I'm, I was always exhausted mm-hmm. because your brain is literally going over time. I said that on Instagram yesterday. We went to view our new house. Yeah. And I was just really apprehensive because the having to process a whole new house that I know I'm going to be living in it's just too overwhelming yeah. like I was I'm exhausted today but like I also remember I was working with Jerry Halliwell and I was in her house for 10 days and she kept wanting to give me a tour of the house and I didn't want yeah. I only wanted to know the rooms that I had to be in yeah and she couldn't understand it and I was like I, and I I didn't even really understand it I was like I don't want to see the other rooms if I don't have to be in them I don't yeah. want to see it and she just thought that was really strange yeah, it's isn't that interesting? It's like the overload. I just need to know what I need to know. No, yeah, I don't want to take like and even this morning I was emailing um, the producer going, I want to be five minutes late because like I'm a stickler. For, I cannot understand how people are late. Yeah, and when I, I am, too. it like it's it deeply crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, the train is late. And like I was on the train literally refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And I just thought everyone did that. No. Like I, I'm there if, I, if I'm supposed to be there At 9.59 I will be there at 9.59 Yeah But isn't that an amazing skill as well Like I have clients that come to me now And they really struggle with organisation And I'm like You just do X, Y and Z And they're like How can And I'm like I've been doing it all my life yeah. I've learned how to live By taking deep control And organising And it has served me And that's the thing Like Being autistic Yes there are many challenges to it but in my experience, and I've lived the challenges, there's really positives too. Like it is a gift. Yeah. Parts of it are a gift. Parts of it are a huge gift and parts of it make life so much so, easier. Yeah. And obviously parts of it are quite difficult. But I do think that that idea of, you know, waking up in the morning and your brain going, OK, I have to do this, 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 this in this order. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like you have a detailed plan for the next three hours and you get everything done. And my husband is looking at me like, how do you know how to like but if something small it throws you off like oh yeah if someone calls to my house unexpected I'm like what I don't I got rid of my doorbell like oh, I, great. I just yeah. will not let people yeah because if yeah I have that I have a detailed plan for the next yeah. three hours that involves all of us being up dressed fed a wash on a wash yeah. out on the line blah 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 <laughs> and if me, you yeah. introduce chaos into that I can't come back from that I can't yeah. put an hour into that and then be like oh okay I just spent an hour chatting now I'll take I'll pick up yeah. where I left off not and, possible and I've always been envious of people who go with the flow yeah I'm I like I, I what is that flow I like? don't like and, and I think what's important chaos could be something tiny mm-hmm. like literally tiny and it just throws me off and I always say that my house works like a machine I work like a machine but if one small thing happens I'm, I'm gone the wheels come off yeah. it's like it's game over and I just, yeah, it's so, it's so lovely to meet other people that I'm like, oh, you do that too. Okay. It, there's nothing. I'm not broken. No, no. You're just autistic. I'm just autistic. Yeah. My, I'm, I'm having issues at the moment because my passport is missing and my passport is always in the same place that it's always like, it, it, it just never yeah. is out of that place. And I also have, you know, a special lanyard for Dublin airport, the yeah. autistic, um, the autistic lanyard. And that always is with my passport and the autistic lanyard is there, but the passport is not. Okay. And I don't know where it is. And I've checked everywhere because we're moving house. I'm also emptying my house at the moment. So I am actually looking in every single space. And I don't know where it is. And I would have noticed before now if it was missing. And it's just really derailing me. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And that might stress everyone out. But for you or I, that's literally like... I can't think of anything else. And you're working back through all the steps. Where did it go? Where, how did, and because we have such a sense of control, it's like, how did this happen? Yeah. 
how did this happen? <laughs> and I need to find out the reason where it happened. Okay, before we finish up, I want to ask you a question. Sure. Read a, uh, an interesting article in the Irish Independent today. It's by Helen O'Callaghan. Mm-hmm. And the pull quote is, can you love your child yet regret becoming a parent? Mm-hmm. And in the start of the article, it says, in a US poll, seven and a half percent of parents said they wouldn't have children if they had their chance over. A 2016 study found in Germany, 88% would not have children, while 11% weren't sure if they would. Which is quite a sizable yeah. chunk of population yeah. for parental regret. What's yeah. your thought on it? I think, right, and this is tuning into what you need and want. When someone says they regret having a child, do they genuinely mean they regret having a child or they regret how their life has turned out? Do they regret that they're not supported in it? Do they regret that their idea of motherhood is different and I think there's a difference because I always say this we can love our children and find it really hard and grieve our own life and wish that we'd more support and wish some days we can run away two things can be true at once two things can be true at once and I think that's critical that there's moments where I might feel like oh my god I regret being a mum I don't regret being a mum I love my children to death I regret that I'm being a mum in a time where that village is gone and it's so hard. That's what I regret. And not knowing that it was going to be this hard and not knowing the lifestyle changes that would need to happen. And I think that is key. We always love our kids. The very fact we're questioning it means we love them. But you can love them and And find it hard. And that's the key. It's not one or the other. Laura, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about you or, you know, hire you as a coach, where can they find you? Best pace is probably Instagram. Come over and find me on Mind Mommy Coaching and we always have the chats and you'll definitely feel seen and heard. Great, Laura, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara. We're produced by Julie Hassett and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.